All right, um, again, good morning and welcome to Seven Hills Fellowship. My name is Brian Pierce. We're actually in week three of a sermon series, and the sermon series we're doing is on the Ten Commandments. And uh, let me just tell you that I undertook this sermon series, and uh, I was kind of nervous about it. And the reason I was nervous about preaching a series on the Ten Commandments is because uh, a lot of people in the broader culture, when they, when they hear the words, the Ten Commandments, they automatically think about you know, something archaic, or they think about something that's been politicized, you know, that's made it in the headlines of the news somewhere, uh, or they think that, uh, that, oh, it's just another, you know, example of how, you know, Christianity and all of religion is merely about sort of keeping us from uh, being able to live happy lives and living free lives. And, and so I, I was nervous about jumping into it for all of those reasons, for all of those misconceptions. But on the other hand, I'm also excited to have the chance to talk about the Ten Commandments, because the Ten Commandments aren't simply a way to limit our freedom and to keep us from living happy lives. In fact, the Ten Commandments, as I argued a couple weeks ago, are precisely for the purpose of painting a picture of a reality that you actually wish existed. Does that make sense? Like when you read through the Ten Commandments and you look at them, you have to look at them and go, oh, that's, that's actually the world that I wish truly existed, a world without gossip and slander, a world without dishonesty, a world without stealing. You know, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that my car had been broken into two times. And uh, no kidding, this past Friday, my car was broken into again, again in my driveway between 8 and 10 a.m. in the morning. So bizarre. Anyway, and so I've had to go through, you know, the last couple of days of like, I've got to replace my driver's license and file a police report and, you know, cancel my credit cards and get new ones, guess what? I wish that the world that I was living in was a world without stealing because I would have more time on my hands, right? Anyway, so uh, the point is, is that the Ten Commandments really paint a picture of the world that you wish existed, right? A world that, that's the way that God intended it to be. Now, the second thing that the Ten Commandments do that we've talked about is the Ten Commandments, as we go through and study them, uh, very quickly we realize that we haven't come close to keeping the Ten Commandments, right? That, you know, at every point along the way, at each of these different commandments, we realize that we've broken each of the Ten Commandments, uh, sometimes very knowingly, but sometimes not knowingly at all, unwittingly, right? But either way, we recognize that we've broken them, and as a result, it drives us to Jesus, who is our only hope of salvation. Now, I'm going to recap very quickly, very quickly, what we've talked about in terms of the first two commandments. The first commandment is thou shall have no other gods before me. And, and what that literally means is God is saying you shall not have any other, any good things that you value more than me before my face or in my presence. It's our tendency to take good things that God has given us, children, wives, husbands, businesses, careers, you know, all of these things. It's our tendency to take these perfectly good things and to value them more than we value God. And God says... Don't do it. I will have no other gods in my presence. The second commandment, which we talked about last week, is that shall have no uh, idols, right? And essentially what that is talking about is uh, essentially what it's saying is God is saying, I don't want you to worship me through either, uh, you know, creating some, some picture or some statue or some other picture of an earthly thing that's supposed to represent me. And we talked about last week that the reason for that is because there's only one image of God, and that is Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. And so God says, look, 
you can't come and worship me through any other way except through Jesus, who is my true image. Last thing. The last thing is that each of the Ten Commandments are given in the singular form instead of the, the plural. And the reason this is important is because it'd be easy for us to hear the Ten Commandments and think, oh yeah, these are broadly for all people at all times. And that's true, but more specifically, God gives us the Ten Commandments in the singular so that you know that it is your tendency and it is your temptation to have other gods before him. It is your tendency and it is your temptation to create idols to represent God instead of Jesus, to try to come before him in these other ways. It's actually a temptation that each of us face. Now, one last thing. Today we're going to be talking about the third commandment. I'll get into it in just a moment, but it's um, essentially that you should not take the name of the Lord in vain. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I, I should offend some of you today. Maybe I should offend all of you a little bit. You know, I'm such a weenie. It's unbelievable. I wish you knew me better. If you saw me with my shirt off, you'd be like, oh, he is a weenie. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. But the point is that I'm a wimp and I, I'm not confrontational with people. But if I'm going to be honest and fair with the third commandment today, some of you ought to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Some of you ought to feel uh, a little bit offended. And I need to be okay with offending you for the right reasons. Okay, let me do this. I'm going to read through uh, Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. It's going to be on the screen up here. And the Ten Commandments are given in two different places, but uh, we're going to read the commandments as they're given in Exodus chapter 20. So here we go. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days shall you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I'm going to read verse 7. This is the third commandment. I'm going to read it one more time. I'm going to read it in the ESV, which is a slightly different translation. But here's what verse 7 says. Again, this is the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, I just would ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would be in this room, that your Holy Spirit would be in this place, and that he might take the words of Scripture and sink them down through our brains all the way into our hearts 
that, uh, that we might not only be changed in our thinking, but we might be changed even in the way that we feel, even in the way that we view this creation, your word, your world, Father. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be in this room not only to make this scripture clear to us, but I pray that your Spirit would be in this room also that we might have an encounter with you, the living God, the author of reality, Father. I pray that, uh, that you would meet us in this place this morning. Father, I pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, how many of you guys have ever seen someone take something that is very serious, but, they've, but they take it lightly? How many of you have ever taken something that's very serious yourself and, and taken it very lightly? Now, this morning, I've got a, a little video clip I'm going to show you, which is an example of doing this very thing, taking something that's very serious, but taking it lightly. And let me just go ahead and warn you, because we have little people in the room, that uh, this, uh, this clip I'm getting ready to show you is from a, a fantastic movie. I think it won many awards, but it's called Jackie Moon. And it's a Will Ferrell movie where he is portraying the owner of like a 1970s basketball team. And uh, their attendance is so low that he makes the decision to, at halftime of the basketball game, to fight a bear, to wrestle a bear, okay? And so for the little people in the room, let me tell you, this is make-believe and that no one, neither the bear nor Will Ferrell, gets really injured in this movie. It's just absolutely for fun, okay? So let's go ahead and show this clip, and then we'll jump into the sermon. No, no, you can't quit now. We just started. We got to get these people to show, man. Yeah, you're right. Test them out. I'm just going to be right over here. Come on, dude. You just nothing but a dumb bear. Smack back. Yeah. Woo! Crazy fist. I'll come in with crazy fist. Huh? This is fine. He's not doing anything. Flip! Can you dig it? Jackie move! Flip! Okay, so I'm not recommending that movie because um, I don't really think it won any awards at all, actually. Uh, but that's a pretty funny scene, and uh, I, I couldn't show the longer version for any number of different reasons. Uh, but just suffice it to say that the point of the illustration is to say that there are times when every single one of us in this room and every single human being on the planet, where we take something that's very grave and very serious, like wrestling a bear, and we take it very lightly. Does that make sense? We do it all the time. And here's what I mean by that. Many of us enter into marriage, right? And we take a very serious thing like marriage, and we enter into it lightly, right? Some of us have children, and uh, we have children. We enter into that very grave and various seri- very serious relationship, but we do it very lightly. There's any number of different uh, examples I could use. We could talk about driving, you know, I don't know how many of us uh, started driving when we were either 15 or 16, but it's a very serious thing, and very many of us enter into it uh, very, very lightly. We do that with financial obligations. We do it with any number of different things. We take something that's very grave and very serious, and we take it lightly. And I think what the third commandment is telling us that that's exactly what we have a tendency to do when it comes to taking the name of the Lord. 
to taking his name upon us, we do it lightly, even though it's a very grave and a very serious thing like wrestling a bear. Okay, let me, let me call a time out here for a second. Let me, let me dig into what this, what this commandment actually means literally when you get into some of the language. Now, one of the first things is this word vain. You know, when we think about vain, we think about somebody who is good looking and knows it. And so they look in the mirror and they primp all the time. That's not what this Hebrew word means here. The Hebrew word here for vain is actually shav. You don't need to really remember that. But essentially what it means is, is it means emptiness or hollowness in speech or action. Okay. So this word shav means emptiness or hollowness in speech or in action or in conduct. Okay. And so here's an example of sort of what it means. Uh, you know, that something is empty very quickly. Uh, Many of you probably have helped a friend move before, right? Maybe you've been up in the back of a moving truck unloading, you know, pianos and unloading bed frames and unloading boxes of books or whatever. Well, one of my favorite things to do when I'm in the truck and I pick up, you know, a box that, you know, appears like it might be heavy. So if I pick it up and it's actually an empty box, I always think it's really funny to pretend like it's loaded with like silverware and to act like it's really heavy. You know what I mean? And I walk to the edge of the truck and I'm getting ready to hand it to whoever. And, uh, and I go, hey, watch out. This is a really heavy box because it's completely full and loaded up with like silverware. And then I just throw it to them and I make them catch it. You know what I mean? And if they freak out a little bit and when they, you know, go to catch it, they realize, oh, it was actually empty and it doesn't weigh anything at all. And that's exactly what this word means. The word or the idea here, the concept behind vanity or shav is this idea of taking something that ought to be full, that ought to be heavy, that ought to be meaningful, that ought to be grave, and really treating it in, in such a way that, that your claim over it or claim about it is actually empty or it's hollow or it's meaningless. And so part of what uh, the third commandment means is that we're not to take God's name lightly or hollowly or or in an empty fashion. In other words, don't do it. Don't take the, the name of the Lord unless you really mean it. Don't do it in an empty or in a hollow fashion. That's the idea of vain. Now, the second word I think it's important to note here is the word take. What does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? Again, this is a Hebrew word. The Hebrew is nasah. And, and the Hebrew word nasah means to, uh, to pick up something and to throw it over your shoulder and to carry it. Does that make sense? To pick it up Throw it over your shoulder to bear it and to carry it, okay? So some of you have seen um, the movie Forrest Gump. Maybe it's been, I don't know how old that movie is, 20 years, 15 years, I'm not sure. Uh, and, uh, and there's a great scene in that, that movie where Forrest Gump has entered into the military. And uh, he's over in Vietnam, fighting in Vietnam. And there's this one scene where his best friend, Bubba, disappears out in the jungle somewhere because they're in the middle of this big firefight. And so when Forrest makes his way out of the jungle and gets to where the rest of the soldiers are in safety, he realizes that Bubba's not there. And so he runs back into the jungle to try to go save Bubba, his friend. So he goes back into the jungle. And when he goes back in there and he's looking around, he's calling out Bubba's name. Bullets are firing everywhere. He looks over and he sees another wounded soldier. It's not Bubba, but he runs over to this wounded soldier and he grabs him and he throws him up. He picks him up and he throws him up over his shoulder and he takes him out of the jungle into safety, and he dumps him there on the ground, and he saves his life. He goes back into the jungle again, looking for Bubba. He can't find Bubba, and he goes in, he sees another wounded shoulder, soldier. And so he picks the soldier up off the ground, and he throws the soldier over his shoulder, and he makes his way out of the jungle again. He does it several different times until he finally saves Lieutenant Dan, who many of you guys are familiar with Lieutenant Dan, but he, he never is able to find his friend Bubba. Apparently Bubba has died. 
But the reason I use it is to, to say this is exactly what this idea of taking means here, right? There's a lot of confusion, I think at least, or there has been for me about what that even meant. And what it means is to pick up something and to lift it up and to carry that burden. And it's something you do very seriously. It's something that you do in a weighty and in a grave fashion. And so, so let me really quickly, let me say what I, one way I think we could translate this third commandment according to these things here. And you realize that whenever you read the Ten Commandments or whenever you read anything in Scripture, it's either being translated from Greek into English or Hebrew into English. And so the words in Hebrew, the words in Greek all have nuances. And the English, we do our best job to translate it. All these translations are good, but, but here's a couple different translations that I put together based upon Shav and Nassah. So it could be this. Thou shalt not pick up and carry or bear the name of the Lord your God in emptiness of speech or conduct, right? That's that word Shav is, is emptiness or hollowness in speech or conduct. Or another way of talking about this third commandment is thou shalt not bear the name of the Lord lightly. It's heavy it's grave. That's what the third commandment is prohibiting, all right? So, so let me call time out here and, and, and for a second say, whenever you read the Ten Commandments, they're stated in the negative. And so it's important for us to, to go, okay, well, what does that mean in the positive? How do I live this out? And so here's uh, what I'm going to say, a couple different things. One is that if we are going to bear or carry God's name, then we must bear or carry God's name reverently in our speech. In other words, it's a, it's a weighty and grave and a serious thing. And so the flip side of carrying it lightly or bearing it lightly is to bear it in such a way so that it's reverent, so that we give God's name great uh, heft and weight, okay? Now, there's two ways in which this applies in our speech. The first is in the very, the most traditional way this commandment has been understood. And the way that people usually understand this commandment is uh, don't speak God's name in an irreverent or inappropriate way. That's true, and we're going to talk about it for a second, but it's also more than that. Now, here's what's interesting in terms of literally speaking the name of God. The Jews, God's chosen people, these Hebrews, they wouldn't even speak the name of Yahweh. They they didn't speak it. They did not utter God's name. That's how much reverence, that's how much respect, it's how much weight they gave to God's name that they didn't even speak his name. In fact, there was one Jew who was able to speak God's name one time a year, and that was on the Day of Atonement, and that was the high priest. In other words, the Jews took God's name so seriously that only one man was able to utter God's name one time a year, and that was on the Day of Atonement. And so the the point is this. If we're going to bear God's name, then our speech, especially when we're speaking his name, must be reverent. Now, here's where I might offend one or two of you, okay? So, you know, I went to public high school, right? Played soccer all through high school, all through college. I was surrounded by more than my fair share of bad language, right? And uh, so what's interesting is in our culture, there are all sorts of words that we kind of consider inappropriate. I called them cuss words uh, when I was talking to somebody yesterday, and they laughed at me because apparently that's not a common word anymore. I don't know. Anyway, but there are bad words you can't say on TV, maybe. And that's, those are words that our culture and people are offended by. Does that make sense? Now, here's what's interesting. What do, you think is, what, what do you think offends God more? Do you think God is offended more when we use certain words for maybe certain, you know, kind of dirty or inappropriate things? Or do you think God is more offended when we 
speak his name lightly. Let me tell you this. I think this commandment actually makes it clear. And so here's where I might get offensive a little bit. It doesn't actually bother me that much when people cuss. It just doesn't. Now, granted, if it was, uh, you know, one of my kids or maybe my wife or something, that might bother me a little bit more, you know. Um, But the reality is it doesn't bother me that much. But do you know what does really, really bother me? It really, really bothers me when people speak God's name in a trivializing or a light way. Does that make sense? That's the one thing in people's speech that really gets me. And so I hear it all the time. I hear people say, oh, my blank or OMG, right? And a lot of times it's people who are Christians or claim to be Christians. But what they've done is they've picked up and they've carried the name of God, but they're speaking it in a light way. Or it's people in the southeast, it's really common to say, ooh, you know, blank. Or, you know, or they say, lordy, lordy. I mean, there's all sorts of ways in which this applies. And again, the reason that this might be offensive is because we all kind of, or many of us do it without even thinking about it. We take the Lord's name, we speak his name in a light and an irreverent way. We don't even think about it because culturally it's normal to us. But I think what the third commandment is saying here, at least part of what it's saying here, is that, is that, we, is that God's name should be so reverent that we should speak it in a weighty way. We should speak it in a serious way, and we shouldn't speak it in a way that's trivial. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't speak to God in a familiar way, because even Jesus says you can now turn to God and pray, Abba, Father. Okay, so I'm not saying you can't speak to him in a familiar way. I'm not saying that it's, it's wrong to say God bless you, but what I am saying is that when you do say God bless you, you need to truly mean it and utter God's name reverently. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food, but what I am saying is when we pray it, we ought to speak his name reverently and if we do swear to god then we should swear in a reverent way now ultimately when you speak god's name let me make this clear i want to make it loud and clear it's really a heart issue right it's not for me to judge how you intend using god's name or how you speak god's name that's not my right or place or position to judge that's an issue of your heart and only god knows your heart but what i do know is that part of what god is saying here in the third commandment is when you speak my name Please speak it with reverence and weight and with all gravity, okay? And so when we speak God's name in particular, we speak it with gravity. The second thing that's related to our speech, because again, that idea of shav is don't, uh, don't take God's name in a way that is empty either in speech or in conduct. The second way we do it in our speech is generally speaking in the way that we talk, okay? And so part of, again, what the third commandment intends is that if we bear or carry God's name, then our speech generally should reflect the honor and the gravity of God. In other words, if we call ourselves followers of God, then our speech should honor him. Listen to these verses that talk about this, okay? Proverbs 4.24 says this, put away deceitful, a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. In other words, what dishonors God's name, if you bear his name, is dishonesty or deceit. That dishonors God. Proverbs 19.1 Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than he who is perverse in speech and is a fool. In other words, what dishonors God is to speak in such a way that is uh, perverse, right? I can't go into all that right now, but you probably understand what I'm talking about. James 3, 9 and 10. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing my brothers and sisters, this should not be. In other words, it's not our job to, to curse any human being. 
And therefore, when we do that, that dishonors God, right? If anything, we should be praying for our brothers and sisters and our fellow men. Colossians 4, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. What honors God, what honors God's name is when we speak, we do it in a way that brings honor and glory to him and to his name. Ephesians 5, 12, it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. In other words, the Bible is loaded with all sorts of ways in which our speech is to represent the gravity and the serious of who God is. And so what that means is that it dishonors God when we gossip about someone else. What that means is that it dishonors God when we slander someone else. What that means is that it dishonors God when we say things that aren't true. What it means is that when we complain, this is the BP section of this, I'm a massive complainer, that that dishonors God and his name. Essentially, either if we choose to bear God's name, then our speech should always honor him. And so part of what this would mean then is don't pick up and carry God's name unless your speech about his name and about everything else you talk about is reverent in a way that honors him and treats him as weighty, okay? I realize this gets into minutia. And part of the reason it gets into minutia is I think it matters, and we'll get to that in a little while. But what this commandment is saying is that if you have picked up and if you carry God's name, you need to not do it in a way that is vain and empty and hollow, but rather do it in a way so that you realize the, the name that you are carrying upon yourself is weighty and is serious and is grave. Do it with integrity. We're to carry God's name not only in our speech with integrity and with gravity, but we're also to bear God's name in our actions as well. In other words, if we choose to bear God's name, it shouldn't just honor, we shouldn't just honor his name in our speech, but also in our actions. Here are a couple more verses. Here's a verse from 1 Peter 2.12. It says this, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, these non-Jews that we're talking about, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation or when Jesus comes back. And part of what, uh, part of what Peter is saying here is he's saying is that if you've picked up and if you're carrying God's name, you should be living life in such a way so that when people who aren't Christians or in this case, weren't Jews, when they see you and they see the way that you live, that they actually should have a reason to glorify God. Does that make sense? Right? Now, let me throw, turn it the other way. What do, what do you think, generally speaking, the world has to say about Christians? Oops. It gets a little nervous, you know, kind of a little sticky right there. You know, unfortunately, Christians don't have a particularly great reputation among outsiders. And, uh, and I think in most of those cases, we have only ourselves to blame because our actions haven't demonstrated the gravity and the reverence for God that they should have. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. And essentially what this is, is this is Paul saying, look, you've been adopted by God as his daughters and sons. Therefore, here's the behavior that honors God. So look at verses 12 through 14. If you're God, you are God's chosen people, right? You've been adopted, daughters and sons. You, you bear his name in the same way that an adopted child bears the name of his adoptive parents. You are holy, set apart, and dearly loved. So, or therefore, put on tender mercy. Don't give people what they deserve. And kindness, as if they were your clothes. If you're bearing God's name, 
clothe yourself with mercy and kindness. Don't be proud, arrogant, stuck up. Be gentle and patient. Put up with one another or each other. Forgive the things that you're holding against one another. Forgive just as the Lord forgave you. And over all the, those good things, put on love. Love holds them all together perfectly as if they were one. What Paul is saying here is, is he's saying if, if you have picked up and if you're carrying the name of God, then this is the way that you ought to live. This is the life that honors God, a life of mercy, a life of forgiveness, a life of love, that it should overshadow everything that you do, that everyone, when they see you, they should see you living this life in every aspect of your life. Now, I mentioned earlier that I played soccer. When I was in college playing soccer, um, uh, you know, like most other 18, 19, 20-year-olds, I was a buffoon and a jerk for a long time, okay? I was in process as a Christian. In fact, there are times, you know, if I tell my, my story of how I became a Christian, I, I could tell it in different ways. Um, regardless, I'll finish my illustration. My illustration is this, is that in my soccer career, um, my freshman year, I got one red card and four yellow cards. Okay, I don't know if any of you know anything about soccer. That's bad, right? That's not good. Because typically you get red cards for fighting, okay? Uh, you get yellow cards for other things we're not going to talk about. But, but my freshman year, I had lots of those, okay? In fact, it was a little point of tension between me and my coach. All right. My sophomore year, I had another red card and a couple more yellow cards, right? So here I am, Brian Pierce. You know, I'm saying that I'm a Christian. I even went to this Christian school. And yet my track record, at least on the soccer field, not so hot, right? So red cards, yellow cards, et cetera, et cetera. My junior year, a little bit better. I think maybe I had four yellow cards, but no red cards. Getting better, all right? My senior year... I started to kind of get it. I started to realize that every time I step onto the soccer field, that regardless of who we were playing, uh, regardless of where we were at what other campus, at whatever school, that because I was a believer and because I was going to this school called Covenant College, that uh, from, for all they knew, I had picked up the name of God and I was carrying it upon myself. And so that every way in which I behaved, everywhere in which I spoke, that I was representing him. And so I remember we, we were playing a soccer game my senior year, and the ball went out of bounds. And I'd been wrestling with this idea of representing God all the time. The ball went out of bounds, and, uh, and it was the other team's ball, and it was like five feet away from me. And so I walked over, picked up the ball, and uh, I threw it to the other team who was getting ready to do a throw-in. And uh, one of the guys on my team said, BP, don't do that, man. That's stupid. Don't give the ball to their team. And, uh, and I turned around to him, and I said, look, man, if this whole Christianity thing just applies sort of everywhere else, but it doesn't apply on the soccer field, then we're, we're absolutely misunderstanding. Does that make sense? Like, this is exactly where bearing the name of God should be the weightiest, because it's in the most stressful, most intense scenario. And if we can honor God here, and if we can carry and bear his name in a reverent way here, then we can do it anywhere. Does that make sense? I don't tell that story to make myself look good, not that I'm above that, but I do it simply to give an illustration to say that wherever you are, if you have picked up and if you're carrying God's name, then we need to do it in every area of our life in a way that brings honor and glory to him at all times and in all places. Now, I'm shifting gears. There's a, an old saying that one of my professors used to give us which, in seminary, which was this, context is part of text. Context, or the immediate surrounding of whatever you're reading, is actually part of the text. 
And so what's the immediate context of the third commandment? I'm going to argue, based upon what we've talked about the last two weeks, that the immediate context of the third commandment is worship. Okay, primarily that it's worship. Now, here's where I'll make that argument. Look at the screen. If the first commandment focuses on the object of our worship, in other words, we're to worship God alone, and if the second commandment focuses on the means, which is through Jesus alone, the means by which we come to God through Jesus alone, then the third commandment surely focuses on our attitude and maybe the spectrum meaning our speech and our actions in all places at all time. It's this idea of heaviness, of weightiness, and the fullness of our lives that everything that we do, if we're carrying the name of God, that everything we do is an act of worship. Does that make sense? That's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. Romans 12, 1 says this, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your spiritual act of worship. In other words, we have a tendency to think about worship as sitting in this room and singing, you know, songs to God and then praying and hearing a sermon, that kind of thing. But part of what Paul did and part of what God is doing here in the Ten Commandments is he's saying, when you carry my name in your speech and you carry my name in your actions and all you do everywhere at all times, the way that you do it, if you do it reverently, then by doing that, you are worshiping me, the living God, the author of reality. Does that make sense? Now, let me switch gears one more time and say this. After we've sort of talked about the implications of all of these things today, how are you doing? Okay, how are you doing keeping the third commandment? Okay, it's not a guilt trip, but I know that already today, uh, according to these standards, I probably have heard people speak God's name irreverently on more than one occasion. So I know that some of you out there have probably done the same, right? You, you, you didn't even think about it, maybe. So I'm, I'm not here to, to judge you, but I am here to, to point out to you that I think that is a, a way in which you have uh, broken this third commandment. How about just your speech in general? Remember, if, if what I've talked about today is true, then complaining about what we have is actually a sin. Okay, I've already broken that today, and I broke it 29 times yesterday. Lying is a sin. Some of us have lied today already. We've definitely lied over the course of our life. Bragging is a sin. Slandering is a sin. Gossiping is a sin. I mean, the list goes on and on so much so that surely every single one of us in this room this morning has to go, oh yeah, I have definitely broken this third commandment in my speech in one way or another. What about our actions? How have you been doing carrying God's name's name How have you been doing in terms of your actions? Whether I won't even go into the list of what that might entail. But what I do want to do is I want to say it's pretty clear that all of us have broken the third commandment, whether that was today or yesterday or over the course of our life. We are not doing so well keeping this third commandment. And guess what? This third commandment comes with a warning, right? It's very serious. So serious, in fact. Listen to the warning that God places on the third commandment at the end of verse 7. He says this, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him or her guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let let me let that sink in for a minute. Those of you who have spoken God's name lightly, those of you who have spoken in general while bearing the name of God, you've spoken in ways that haven't honored him, right? Or you've You've, you've carried the name of God upon your shoulders, but you haven't lived in a way that honors him. What God tells us here 
is that he won't hold him or her, he won't hold us guiltless if we've broken this third commandment. That's really, really bad news, isn't it? Right? I mean, it should be a little bit nerve-wracking. It should be a little bit scary. The good news, however, is that what I talked about at the very beginning when I was introducing the sermon is that the Ten Commandments should always drive us to Jesus, right? Every time they should drive us to Jesus. There's a verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says this. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And from this verse and any other number of verses in the New Testament and the Old Testament, we come up with, or John Calvin came up with, this idea of something called expiation. And this idea of expiation is that God takes our guilt, you know, the guilt that you have over breaking the third commandment. He takes your guilt, my guilt, and he places that guilt upon Jesus. Jesus willingly takes our guilt upon himself, and God punished Jesus God held Jesus guilty in our place, though Jesus had never sinned. And so Jesus suffered that, ju- that guilt and that judgment of the guilt in your stead, on your behalf. That's good news. Does that make sense? That Jesus stepped in and he bore God's punishment on your behalf. Let's take one moment and let's pray. Father, these are weighty things that we are talking about. Um, and Father, I know for a fact that I'm not, uh, I'm a, a weak and broken vessel as I seek to carry them before our people. Father, I also realize that it's not about me, that it's about you, it's about your spirit as he works in our hearts and in our minds. And so ultimately, Father, I pray that your spirit would, would take the truths that are loaded into this third commandment and uh, that your Holy Spirit would Teach our minds how to think about revering and honoring your name as we speak and as we live. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would not only change the way that we think about honoring you in our speech and actions, Father, but that your Holy Spirit would change the way that we feel about honoring you, about revering you, about seeing your name be hallowed, not only in our homes, not only in Seven Hills Fellowship, but in Rome, Father, that that people would truly revere your name, the name of the living God. And so, Father, we pray all these things today in your name and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.